at the end of a talk, sometimes in a Q&A, people will ask me, you know, hey, are you going to win the gold medal? <laughs> I tell them, man, at my age, I'll be happy to make the cover of ARPG. Welcome to Beyond Speaking with Brian Lord. Wait, an actor's in charge of my money? Hey, it's Mikey from the Goonies. Fail trying rather than fail watching. A podcast featuring deeper conversations with the world's top speakers. I'm Brian Lord, and on the show today, we have four-time Olympian Ruben Gonzalez as he shares what it's like to party at the Winter Olympics, how Scott Hamilton inspired him to try the luge, and how to get back up after your worst crash in competition. We've got the Winter Olympics coming up in South Korea. And now if you, if you could help me out here, if you could recall what it was like. So you've been to four Olympics. You've got more experience than just about anybody in this. But if you can recall back to 1988 when you first started, what do you think it's going to be like if you, for these first-time Olympians, especially the unheralded ones, getting off that plane, walking into the Olympic Village for the first time? What, what are they thinking? What are they feeling? You know what? For about two weeks, everybody's walking around with a with a silly smile on their face, and they're not walking; they're just kind of floating around. It's it's dreamland. Um, it, it, it's it's there's this tension before your your competition, but as soon as your competition's over, it's like oh, now I can party, right? And watch the other guys compete, and the party gets bigger all the time. And it's not what they what, what they write about at, on the, in the news. I mean, it's just it, it's a fairly clean party. But it's just uh, the release of all that tension. And gosh, by closing ceremonies, everybody's crying because <laughs> it's all over. What was the most surprising thing for you uh, in your first experience or two at the Olympics? I was amazed. Uh, uh, it takes about 15,000 volunteers to run an Olympics, uh, a, win- a Winter Olympics. And I was blown away by how nice they were and how uh, whatever you ask them, they, 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 would, they would just bend over backwards. They were like experts in, in, uh, in, in customer service. And um, I was uh, another thing that surprised me was a lot of the athletes were willing to help each other out. There's this this, this uh, camaraderie, right? Because everybody respects each other, even if you're the last last place or first place. There's this respect because everybody worked your tail off just to get there. What are some of the things you learned from your your fellow Olympians? It's funny. Uh, the, the the longer I do this, uh, gosh, when I went to to Salt Lake City, I felt like I was a dad going to visit his kids in college because everybody was so much younger than me, right? <laughs> And I thought, okay, I guess that's it. And then I quit, right, for about seven years. And then I came back, and then in uh, Vancouver, I was 47. And I thought, oh, my gosh, everybody thought I was a coach, right? I guess what, what I learned is, is, is that I, I just love the work ethic and the dedication that, that all these kids have. I remember one time uh, on the road to, to the Vancouver Games, we were just in this garage. Because the hotels don't usually let us bring our sleds into the hotel because they know we're going to work through the rooms. So they give us this garage. I was just working, right? And all you can smell is sweat and, 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 and iron because everybody's working on their steels. Looked around and thought, oh, my gosh, you know, these, these 20-year-old kids are going to do so many great things in life because they have this work ethic and dedication and willing to pay the price. What got you into the sport? I watched this old show in the 70s. It was called The Olympiad. Beanspan uh, put it together. And it was all these great stories of, of, of Olympics. And it always started with the opening ceremonies. And for me, it was always about the opening ceremonies because that's what I always saw. But it was a pipe dream because I was always the last kid picked to play sports uh, in school. I, I was always a slowpoke, a lot of heart, but no, no uh, extraordinary athletic gifts. And so, um, so I really didn't believe it was possible. 
And it went until I was uh, 21, and I was uh, watching the Sarajevo Olympics on TV, and I see Scott Hamilton, the figure skater, uh, win the gold medal. He's an 18-year-old kid, you know, 110 pounds, soaking wet, and uh, incredible footwork. And he just, I just loved everything about this guy. I thought, my gosh, if that guy can do that, that little guy can do that, I surely can too. I just got to find a sport. And the belief kicked in. I went to the library. I looked for sports. First, I looked at the summer games, and I realized, man, you got to be a super athlete to do any of this stuff. There's no way. And I started looking at the at the winter <laughs> winter sports. And my nickname in high school was Bulldog because I was always very tenacious and I never quit. And so I started thinking, I got to find a sport with a lot of broken bones, maybe a lot of quitters, and I just won't quit. Right? Maybe I can make it that way. <laughs> and uh, I had it down to ski jump, bobsled, and luge. And uh, I lived in Houston at the time. I'd never skied before, so ski jump, that would have been suicide. So that one's out. And bobsled. Who are you going to find three other nuts in Houston who want to do the bobsled? <laughs> so I left the luge. Had a little picture of a guy on a luge. I thought that's the one for me. And I wrote, illustrated a, let, a letter to ask him, where do you go learn how to luge? <laughs> and they uh, they wrote back. They said, Lake Placid. I called them up. And at first, they wouldn't take me. I said, you're 21. You should have 10 years experience by now. There's no way. And when they found out I was born in Argentina, they said, if you go for Argentina, we'll help you because we need more countries in this sport because we're on the verge of getting kicked out of the Olympics because we're not global enough. So I was under their wing for four years. And I went to races with them, and they trained me, and they taught me the sport. And they and they had to uh, take 10 years and squash it down to two years. So I, I, I made the cut. By the, I made the cut by the skin on my teeth uh, all four times, right? Uh, but I got to play with the big boys. <laughs> Uh, I, I tell my audiences, man, I'm just like your neighbor, okay? Because, you know, they introduce you as an Olympian. People tend to put you up on a pedestal. And I want them to understand that, hey, I'm just a regular guy that worked his tail off, and that's something that anybody can do. Wow. Now, uh, what's the, is there a difference between your, I know your nickname was the Bulldog. Is there a difference between a good stubborn and bad stubborn? Absolutely. And and I uh, I made the mistake of bad stubborn in college. Uh, I was uh, I was pre-med. <laughs> in Houston Baptist University, I was a chemistry biology double major, and I was and I was okay at uh, at biology, but chemistry is no way. Uh, I took organic chemistry four times. I had the head of the chemistry department trying to convince me to change majors. Right? I said, I'm not changing majors. I, mean, I just need to take this one class, <laughs> and, uh, and I took calculus four times too. Okay, uh, so I, in retrospect, I wish I had changed majors because. Uh, uh, back then, I was so down because all these little young kids were passing me up. Uh, tall buildings were starting to look good. Uh, I mean, I was getting those kind of thoughts. And if I had just changed the business or marketing or psychology, something that interested me, you know, I know I would have done a lot better in school. Now, was there a point during your training um, where you were the closest to giving up? No, never. Uh, you know what? The worst uh, crash I had was a year and a half before the Salt Lake City Games. I was in St. Moritz, Switzerland. I had a crash where I broke my foot, I broke my hand, I totaled my sled. Uh, I had no money. There's no way I had money to buy a new sled. And and flying back halfway over the Atlantic, I finally got my head straight. I thought, hey, I've broken four bones healed, so no big deal. And tomorrow I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to do something, but I'll be back on that horse. And, hey, maybe I can't afford a sled, but maybe I can borrow a sled. So as soon as I got home, I started calling all the luge guys to see if they had a sled I could borrow. Guy from... Uh, New Zealand let me his sled. <laughs> now, now, what does a day in training uh, for a, a loser look like, whether it's at the track or back home? Typically uh, uh, at the track. Uh, we will take 
five or six runs a day. Uh, that's it. And uh, we're pulling six Gs on some of those curves, and you got the cold. And uh, after six runs, you're you're wiped out. It's, it's amazing. I mean, uh, uh, but you know, I'm, I'm as tired after six lose runs than after a hard soccer game. Um, so uh, you go in the morning, you take a run, and you and if there's uh, just a few people at the track, you know, it might, that might be a two-hour session. You take a run, you get to the bottom, pick up the walkie-talkie, talk to the coach. Coach tells you what you did wrong. You take, they take you and the sled back up to the top, uh, get into your parka, go walk down to coach, visualize a few runs, take the second one, repeat, you know, do three runs, go back, have lunch, do it, do it again in the afternoon. And then in the, uh, in the evening, we watch videos, videos of our runs, right? So now we're getting more, more feedback. And, uh, and then you eat dinner and then you spend about an hour working on your sled, taking all the, you know, uh, fine sandpaper, taking all of the nicks that you got from whatever dust was on the track. And, and you do that, you know, five days a week uh, for a few weeks at the beginning of the year. And then the World Cup season starts, and uh, typically Mondays you you uh, travel. Uh, Tuesday through Friday you're doing qualification runs to try to qualify for the race, and then on Saturday the men uh, the men race and the women race on uh, Sunday, and then you repeat. And you do about ten races a year. Now you've done all kinds of crazy things. You've run with the Bulls in Pamplona and climbed Mount Kilimanjaro, jumped out of an airplane. Which of the which of the non Olympic challenges you've taken on have been the most difficult? Difficult. Uh, the last day of Kilimanjaro. Uh, Kilimanjaro is not a is not a uh, technical climb. It's it's a walk up. Okay, I've never been so tired like that last day. Oh my gosh, it was eighteen hour day going up and coming back down, and there's half the oxygen that you have them. Uh, so from a physical standpoint, that was the toughest. Uh, the most fun was uh, skydiving for me. I, uh, I had a speaking engagement in South Africa, and on that flight, you know, I started thinking, hmm, skydiving from South Africa, that, that kind of got a good ring to it. You know, I could use that. <laughs> now, now you've retired three times, and two of those retirements were before <laughs> Facebook was ever even invented. So, so why, are you, <laughs> why are you coming back now? Well, you know, I'm, it's funny. I'm kind of like a Brett Favre of luge, you know. I, uh, <laughs> I, I did Calgary and Alberville back-to-back, so I was 88 and 92. And, and then I just quit. I just wanted to do something different. Just, you know, just want to try something different. And you know what happened? That Top Gun came out, and I wanted to become a, a, a pilot. So I became a pilot, but, you know, just a general pilot aviation. And um, and then my coach uh, called me five years before Salt Lake City. Salt Lake City, he called me, and he said, hey, uh, Luge needs Argentina. We need you back. I said, forget it, man. I'm done. And, and he wouldn't take no for an answer. I told him, okay, I got a brother. Go to the Olympics twice. I seem to look in his eyes. If that deal goes for him too, I'll go. We have five years. Maybe he can learn the sport. Maybe he can can make it. And he, my brother came, and uh, and we ended up making Olympic history because we first time that two brothers competed against each other in the men's luge. And he got it out of his system. You know, I, uh, I quit again. That, at that time, I started speaking. Building my speaking business became my next challenge. And so um, I've, I've been blessed in that. I've made every, every single one that I've gone for. And now it's been seven years again. I, I get a, my seven year itch is different from other guys' seven year itch. <laughs> and, uh, and so, and so I, uh, uh, last, uh, about a month and a half ago, I went to Calgary and I hadn't sled, hadn't been on a sled for seven years. I still have my old sled, 25 year old sled from, from the Alberville Olympics. I mean, the coaches said this thing belongs in the museum. I mean, sleds are much faster now. There's no way. And in order to qualify for this race, 
have to beat my personal record by two tenths of a second, which is it's tough. And um, and and I and I beat it by four one hundredths of a second. I mean, the blink of an eye. <laughs> so it's like step one, right? It, I'm fifty five, so in Beijing I'll be fifty nine, and uh, that Olympics, and I'll be the oldest ever in any sport, right? And I I really think that if I do it. And the coaches say that that, that I have a, a good chance of making it, but I think it's a record that won't last very long because I think modern training methods and proper nutrition, uh, I think more and more athletes will realize that, hey, you're in your prime in your 50s because you're mentally and still strong uh, physically, right? And uh, I think it's going to become more and more common. I think, you know, uh, people will not have their midlife crisis till they're in their 80s. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, so I'm, you know, I, I, when the, at the end of a talk, sometimes in a Q and A, people will ask me, you know, hey, are you going to win the gold medal? <laughs> I tell them, man, at my age, I'll be happy to make the cover of ARP. Thank you for joining us for the Beyond Speaking podcast. Make sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. To learn more, go to beyondspeak.com because adding the ing was too expensive. For this episode of the Beyond Speaking Podcast, your technical director, producer, and head Steelers fan was Eric Woody. Your creative director and part-time leprechaun was Travis Franklin. Brian Lord, your host, executive producer, and specialist in speaking about himself in the third person. Additional thanks to special consultant and the pride of St. Paul, Lauren D. of D. & Associates. Thank you to the incredible voice talents of the muy profundo Robert Borges. Finally, thanks to the premier founder, Dwayne Ward, CEO Sean Hanks, and CIO Chris Jount, simply because you need to thank powerful people. If you've listened this far, you clearly have nothing better to do, so why not continue on and listen to the next Beyond Speaking podcast.